0: Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com slash SME today. Again, agorapulse.com slash
1: SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Nathan Lotka, and we're going to explore the story of how he was able to yield amazing influence through a podcast and ultimately a book and a TV show. And I want you to pay very careful attention to how Nathan has been able to accomplish everything that he's been able to accomplish because it can be replicated by you. So if you want to figure out a way to leverage the tribe that you're building to accomplish your greatest desires, you're going to want to definitely pay close attention to today's interview. By the way, if you want to reach out to me, simply email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for today's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip.
0: This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
1: I found a really cool tool that solves the teleprompter problem. Uh, <laughs> for, for people out there who are creating great videos for their marketing, often that means you've copywritten or had somebody wrote something for you that was really well written so that you could speak it to the camera or even to a podcast or whatever. But teleprompting, there's so many different apps out there, but I found a free one that does something unique that none of the rest of them do. And I've tried it out. I'm kind of blown away by this tool. It's called teleprompt.me.
0: Tell me more. What does it do?
1: So what you do is on the Chrome browser, it's not a plugin, but it only works on Chrome. On the Chrome browser, you go to teleprompt.me. Then there, you can put in your script into a little box, and then it will bring it up full screen in your browser. And then here's where the magic happens. You allow it to have access to your microphone. And then as you speak the words that are showing on your screen from your script, and you can adjust the size too, as you say them, it will check them off. Like instead of being white, they will be it's like, like dark car- It's prey. like karaoke almost, huh? It's exactly like that. Yeah. Until you said that, I wouldn't have said that. But yes, that's exactly what it is. So it keeps your place. And so then, since you've got the text up bigger and bolder, and you know farther away and nearer, ideally to where your camera is, so you're looking at the camera. It will progress as you do instead of automatically progressing at maybe a speed that's not exactly the right speed for your speaking tonation.
0: That's really cool, especially yeah. for people who like to pause, like if you're in front of a crowd and they're. A- they're they're clapping and and you don't want to lose your spot. I mean, that's pretty cool. So, it sounds like it needs some sort of a laptop or something like that, right? So you it's not going to work when you're outside necessarily with a film crew or anything. It, it might be something more where you're going live from your computer, right? Or or you've got some way of getting your computer somehow propped up somewhere,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, as long as somehow the browser is, you know, queued up to where you can see it. And it's got access to a microphone so that it can hear your voice actually saying these words. It will progress through the text of your script.
0: Fascinating. And does is it free?
1: It's free. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope that, you know, they, they turn this into something that's paid so that it, it, they can expand on it. But I have been trying for a long time to find the perfect teleprompter, quote, app. There just, it really isn't the, you know, just be all end all. This like blew me away as I tested it out.
0: Teleprompt.me. Is that right?
1: That's it. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome.
0: Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit slash get updates. And now for today's interview with Nathan Lotka
1: helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm excited to be joined by Nathan Lotka. If you don't know who Nathan is, he's the host of the Top Entrepreneurs podcast. He's also the former CEO of Heyo, and he's authored a brand new book called How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. He's also got an exciting brand new TV series on CNBC. Nathan, welcome to the show.
2: Mike, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to explore your story, man. So before we do, today, Nathan and I are going to really dig into how he has leveraged content, and he's done a great job at this, to become a major influencer in the startup industry, and how he's used that ultimately to get himself a television deal. Mike, I I
2: have to tell you too, by the way, is influencer with these days, with everything happening with the festival movies and Hulu, is, is being an influencer a good thing these days or not?
0: Well, to my audience, they understand the power of influencer marketing. (laughs) So I guess they will be the judge by the end of this podcast. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) So, um, I want to explore your story, Nathan, start wherever you want to start. You know, if you want to start with, heyo, go there. Let's, let's talk about it a little bit.
2: Yeah. Architecture, Virginia tech, you know, 19 years old realized no jobs in architecture and this, so I'm 29 today. So to give everyone context, that would have been 10 years ago in about 2009. And I said, man, what's hot. What can I sell? And, uh, you know, I, uh, I quickly learned about FBML pre-sold Facebook fan pages to some folks. Actually, I think you maybe know my first sale was to a, a wonderful woman named Carrie Wilkerson, the barefoot executive. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was my first, my first ever and a massive supporter and helped drive a bunch of new customers to me. But anyways, I pre-sold about $70,000 worth of Facebook fan pages and then taught myself FBML. And then after doing that
0: custom work, by the way, realized, explain to people what that is. Cause they may not know what yeah. you mean by that
2: good point. So those of you that that read social media examiner and you read all the great tutorials Mike and his team put out, um there are tons on what used to be called FBML, which now is kind of dead, but it was essentially the way and Mike you know this, but guys, it was the way that you captured leads off Facebook. You could put apps up on your Facebook pages, opt-ins, just like you would on your website, but instead of using HTML to build these things, you had to learn this kind of weird Facebook coding language called FBML.
0: Facebook Markup Language. Perfect. Okay, so keep going. Yeah.
2: And so I launched, uh, I taught myself how to, how to code those after I knew I had pre-sales and delivered. And Mike, I don't, you have to tell me more about your background too. I don't know if you've ever had done agency work. Have you,
0: I have had my own uh, agency in the past. Yes.
2: Okay, so you're, I think, probably way more patient than I am. I had no patience, and I realized quickly, I do not want to be doing agency work where a client can come back a year and a half after you do it and say, can you change the color tint blue a little bit lighter? And I'm <laughs> yes. like, we finished this like a year ago. What do you mean? I'm not going to do this for free now. Right. Um, so I said, well, what can I do? And I, I thought, oh, well, let me build a system where people can drag and drop their own stuff together themselves without having to do FB mail and they'll pay me a fee every month for it. And so that's what I did. They, they should think of, Heyo, your audience should think of, Heyo, kind of like what Squarespace or Weebly or Wix are for websites. We did back in the day for Facebook apps.
0: Perfect. And back then these apps were integrated right into Facebook pages, right? And a lot of that functionality just kind of worked on Facebook because it was all desktop. Am I right?
2: You're exactly right, and you you did some write ups on you know other just to fill up the space. So you had like the short stacks, the tab sites, Buddy Media, Vitru, Involver. This was the space we were playing in.
0: Perfect. And then let's talk about what what happened. You obviously ended up leaving the company, selling the company. Talk to us about that. Yeah,
2: we did. So I was really uneducated in terms of how to grow a business back. Then remember I was architecture, uh, didn't know how to code, but I was building a software company. So long story short is we grew that pretty quickly to 30, 40 grand a month in sales. And um, we then had some investors reach out and raised capital from David Cohen at Techstars and Dave McClure at 500 Startups and some other smart folks and then built it to about 100 grand a month in revenue. This was twenty. 13, 2014 timeframe and then ultimately raised another $2 million there before we sold it in 2016. And Mike, what's interesting about this story, I made a kind of a big mistake here. Do you remember reading the articles where it's like, you know, Zuckerberg turns down billion dollar offer from Yahoo or Microsoft? Yeah, you remember? Those? Yeah, of remember course. Those? Yes. I, I don't know how that makes you feel. But I mean, I have a pretty big ego. Maybe I'll say healthy ego to make me sound a little better. But I have a big ego, and I'm going, man. If this guy Mark is turning down billion-dollar deals, if I get a you know a ten or twenty million-dollar deal, I'm for hey, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it down. So it's funny in the book on page two forty-three, you see a screenshot from a company called Eye Contact, which was an email marketing company. Oh yeah, Mike, I know you those, know those guys. guys. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you, do you know Ryan or no? I House?
0: don't know them personally, but I know the brand.
2: Okay, so good. You know the brand. So back in the day, this was 2011, they were trying to buy a company to essentially upsell all their email marketing clients. And long story short, as we went down the aisle all the way together, and this screenshot on page 243 is the LOI sent to me on October 20th, 2011, by, from Ryan Ellis, the CEO, that basically said, Nathan, this is part one, section B, the purchase price will be up to $6.5 million when we paid in the following manner. And long story short, Mike, is I walked away from that offer, because you know, Zuck can turn all this money out of you. Felt like at the you point.
0: felt like you were worth more is what you're saying. Totally. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and just a year later you had, you know, Mike, buddy media selling for 600 million to Salesforce. You had Victoria at wildfire selling to Google for 300 million. So the reason I bring up all this story is because there's a lot of people in our world that maybe get out of corporate launch their own startup and they, they actually build wealth by selling too early. And I didn't. So when I sold the company in 2016, it was for way less than $6.5 million. I'll just leave it at that. It was a big mistake that I go on, but I sold the company.
0: Awesome. So, um, and that's where I and you kind of connected together, right? Because you ended up sending out an email. Do you remember that (laughs) part of the story?
2: I think, by the way, I think people are going to be a little bit shocked at this. I I got so many people and you'll have to fill in the gaps here that I miss, Yeah. but I had so many people message me whenever that time was going did you see this thing, Mike Stelzer? Well, no, no, it wasn't even that because you took my name out of it. And then I heard about it. And yeah. some people Let me knew. give everybody the
0: context from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, first of all, Nathan is a very smart marketer, okay? And and I now know what Nathan was doing was was cleaning his list. Okay. And he sent a, an email, presumably to the people that had not been opening his his emails, and it was designed to be like either get in or get out, something along those lines.
2: Mike, that's nice. I mean, I was aggressive. I said, like, get the heck off my list. You're costing me money, right?
0: Yeah. So I took a screenshot of it. Being a nice guy, I didn't want to like call out <laughs> you, and then you found out about it, and then kind of blew up a little bit, you know. And
2: I was furious. I'm going he's framing maybe my most successful marketing thing ever. And he's not even giving me credit. He he blocked my name off. I'm like, <laughs> and, but all these other people, and then there was a big debate in the comments and I have all these people and I won't name names, but all these people in both of our worlds, Mike going, oh my gosh, like, Nathan, what are you gonna do? Mike, Mike doesn't like you. He's mad at you and get on this blab. People are talking about you at 11 PM. And I'm like, you know what? Mike and I have very different styles, and I saw a lot to learn, and uh, and Mike is not confrontational, and I am, and so,
0: you know. Yeah, we, and to be honest with that. you, you know, it wasn't me; it was Joel Com who was like saying, "Come <laughs> on and talk about this thing." You know, he wanted to make it into a big deal. Moral of the story is, I called out what I thought was an aggressive marketing tactic, as more for my tribe, just on my personal profile. Hey, this is probably not the way to do it. Nathan came up and defended the position and Nathan, sometimes you do like to create a little controversy and that was not necessarily, you know, it, it, some listening that were that were familiar with that time might look back and say, "Holy cow, Nathan and Mike are talking. What the heck?" I think
2: but, they're going to be shocked when they see the title of this thing.
0: Yeah, but but the reality is that I kept in contact with Nathan for years and I don't I feel like we've been friendly, you know, we do things yep. differently and I'm bringing Nathan on the show because I respect what Nathan has accomplished. So that's the rest of the story to get us to that moment. But what I would love to talk about is after that sale, somewhere along the lines, you started a podcast, right? So tell us yep. a little bit more about that.
2: what you just said is truly totally mutual. It was very nice of you to stay in touch. And I enjoyed staying in touch and I've learned a lot watching what you've done. So, it's a privilege to be here. Um, the podcast originated because um, I was upset with the lack of transparency and how. Companies were built there were a lot of founders going on shows saying I have the best X Y or Z But they wouldn't back it up with data or numbers and so I launched the podcast with the intent for it to be a daily show. And by the way, I learned from a lot of your friends on this, and I'll, and I'll actually use their names here because I, I think it's it's valuable. You know, I loved what John Lee Dumas was doing with Entrepreneur on Fire in terms of the short daily episodes. Um, I didn't like what Tim Ferriss was doing in terms of the length because it was so long. I never could consume it myself, so I knew I wanted a short podcast, 15 to 20 minutes. And then the flip, and what I liked about Tim was his, his attention to detail. And the thing I disliked most about John, and I like most stuff by the way about what John does, but the thing I like disliked the most is I thought a lot of it was um, really high level kind of motivational stuff versus you know, specific. What's your revenue? What's your growth rate? What do you pay yourself? What's your valuation? And so that was the, you know, combining what I liked and disliked about some of my most favorite podcasts are how I came up with my show, the top entrepreneurs. And it's a daily 20 minute show. I interview software CEOs and, um, Mike true to my personality. It's aggressive. I mean, I talk about their valuation, how much equity they own, how they grew so fast, their number one growth channel, all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, and I'm going to give you a compliment. Uh, what Nathan is really good at and it's he's similar to Andrew Warner in a way. I don't know if you guys know each other or not, but Andrew War- great. Andrew has a similar kind of show on Mixer too, but it's a little longer. But um, if you want to understand like what goes into a startup, you really want to listen to what Nathan does on his show because he really does ask a lot of really direct questions that most people want to know, like revenue questions and average monthly revenue. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a regular listener, Nathan, because I'm not as interested in that space, but I do. You, know, I'm
2: about to hire you to, to introduce me every time you're doing a good job. But I, but listening. I do
0: know, I do know that people love what you've been doing. How long have you been doing that show? And what was the reaction from the community that started listening?
2: So we launched that show in August, 2015, Got my first paid sponsor um, in early that year. We can talk about that in a second if your audience is interested in kind of podcast monetization. Um, But... Um, that, uh, that show has now been going, you know, we've recorded almost, uh, 1500 episodes. Wow. Um, we've only released call it one a day. So I think that I think we're up to like 1200 now. Um, but Mike really, uh, and I don't know if I've even told you this, but, um, the podcast today is really just an excuse to connect with these CEOs. Uh, so I've had like the Cvent CEO on, they just passed 600 million bucks in annual revenues. I've had the Alassian CEO on all the way down to people just starting out pre revenue. Revenue. And so that data, I then sell for large chunks of cash to private equity firms, venture capital firms, and other investors. And so that's that. I didn't plan all that at the beginning. That I fell into that revenue stream all from the podcast. And it's a, you know it's an interesting story, obviously, how that materialized. Yeah, and I
0: want to spend some time there. Um, similar to me, um, <laughs> I use this podcast predominantly to vet people to ultimately speak at social media marketing world. That's my big product. And I know that if people listen to me interview some of the brightest minds in the world of marketing, they might want to come and actually, you know, sit at their feet and learn from them, shake their hands, dot, 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 dot. That was always my plan from the beginning. But I want to ask you this question. Did you just start this because it was a passion project? And then, then all of a sudden did you figure out, whoa, I've got some opportunity here to do something more with this? Totally, totally not,
2: I, the, Michael. the The reason I launched this is because I'm competitive and I have a big ego. And everyone was launching podcasts, and I'm <laughs> going. I want to launch it on one, me, and, man. <laughs> and no, and, and, and I'm saying I want to launch one and beat them and get more downloads. Like I want to play the game and see if I can win the game. Right. And what happened was like I fell in love as I started doing it. It wasn't the opposite. It wasn't. Oh, I love. I have a passion for this. Let me go do it. It was totally the opposite.
0: Did, okay, good. But you wanted to have a successful podcast, but you didn't really figure out what you were going to do with that podcast as far as other products until you were a little deeper in it. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
2: That's, that's accurate. And I will tell you the way I got comfortable with that when I first started, is I said, Nathan, if you can't commit to doing one, one a day for at least a year and be happy at the end of the year, if no one listens, you shouldn't start it at all. Right. Cause I knew this is a long game. You know, this too, by the way, when did your podcast launch? What year?
0: Uh, six and a half years ago. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's (laughs) pretty, pretty long. So,
2: yeah, I was like coming out of the womb at that time, Michael. I mean, it was like
0: (laughs) (laughs) so and I was late to the game. Right. Because, you know, this is over a 10 year industry at least. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, so you've been doing the podcast for a while and um, somewhere along the line, you figure out that you're going to use the information from the podcast to create some new products. And you kind of hinted to that a little bit. But talk to us a little bit about like how the podcast led to the creation of a product. Mm -hmm. Um, or even multiple products. Talk to us about that.
2: Sure. Well, let me just first start like a, you know, of course I was going to do it if I didn't get any downloads, but I wanted to figure out, you know, how to drive downloads and also how to drive sales. And so one of the things that I did is I said, okay, how do I get a lot of downloads on day one and your audience can copy this? What I did is I played with a a simple supply-demand curve. I said, I'm gonna record 30 episodes before I start. And these were from people like Kim Garst, for example, was Mm -hmm. someone who I um, pre-recorded, who you know well and who I love, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so what happened there is on launch day or before launch day, I emailed all those people that I recorded with, all 30 and said, hey, I'm only gonna launch with five of you guys and I'll launch with the first five that are cool, emailing their episode to their list. And so on day one, I had like 800,000 emails going out for the show. None on my own list. It was just a little social engineering. And so I think your audience can copy that strategy if they're thinking about launching their own show.
0: I'm glad you brought Uh, that up. I wanted to ask you, um, after you left Heyo, I'm presuming the list stayed with Heyo and you had to kind of start from scratch. So did you have a big email list that you could promote to in the beginning or no?
2: No, no, no. This, This was literally kind of blank slate.
0: Wow. Did you have a following on social that you could at least use? Small. Small. So you were 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 like starting all over again, really, right? I
2: was. I really I really I mean this was like launching from scratch and my first big aha moment where I sent something was and this actually this email screenshot and the invoices on page 18, of the book, I, I, I put all this stuff in there, which is great. But Justine Smith with FreshBooks reached out on Wednesday, February 24th, uh, 2016. So that was three or four months after the show launched and basically said, Nathan, I want to know how, you know, what sponsor rate do you charge and how many downloads does each episode get? And at that time I was only getting like a thousand downloads in a, Episode two thousand download, and um and I I just made up a number basically. Um and long story short, is she then we agreed on six thousand four hundred bucks for a couple placements. Let's say it was two spots per show. Cost per episode was four hundred bucks a pop, and she wanted eight episodes over two months. So eight times four is thirty two hundred. Add them together, that's sixty four hundred, and boom, she wired the money over, and I said, wow, there's a sponsor model here. That was my first revenue from the podcast.
0: And then eventually you mentioned that you were doing something with the data that was in the podcast. That's another one of your kind of products. Talk about that.
2: Yeah. Well, so first off, I had to figure out a way to get the podcast profitable because my daily expense for my audio people and the backend processing was about 250 bucks an episode. Now today I've put together a very interesting system to get that down to 29 bucks an episode, which I outlined on page 43. I don't, I don't know what your costs are, Michael, but I assume you probably have a couple people on your podcast team, right?
0: Yeah. I mean like we have, we have somebody who does the audio editing and then we have somebody else on the team that actually translates the thing into an actual blog post. It's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more than what you're paying.
2: I was curious. Are you comfortable? I, I bet your audience would be interested. I'm interested in that. Are you comfortable sharing that? What do you, what's your all in cost per episode?
0: Uh, probably 500 bucks because we make okay. a, we make a really detailed blog post out of it.
2: Ah, got it. And yours is longer than mine. Double it's or 40. That's
0: yeah, 45 minutes.
2: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So my point was I had to figure out how to drive costs per day down. Otherwise I was going to like lose a lot of money if I did 365 episodes. So I did that and then started kind of landing more contracts, um, and then productized over time. But the, the moment I started productizing was the moment I signed this deal. It was one of the largest sponsorship agreements for my show at the time, but it was essentially a $180,000 deal for 12 months at 15 grand a month. And I signed this back in, um, I guess it would have been a 2014, 2015 time frame. And so I put that contract so your audience can copy the sponsorship contract on page 45. And that money was my capital that I used to start figuring out how to productize the podcast. And so what I did is I found that I was asking every single CEO I had on some of the same questions, but it wasn't like a script I was following. I did it in a conversational way and the order of the questions would be different or the way I teed it up would be different. So we built a piece of code that leveraged Google's speech API, which would then know that at minute 434, the CEO just shared their revenue data. And we essentially would put all of this in a big Excel sheet, a Google Excel sheet. And then we started selling that Excel sheet, that data, and the headline was simple. If you want Nathan's data but can't listen to every 20-minute episode every day, save yourself 20 minutes a day and just buy the Excel file. And we sold a bunch of those at like 500 bucks a pop. And I knew I knew, I had a product
0: help us understand why your audience is willing to pay that kind of money for that data. Cause obviously my audience is not quite the same. So elaborate. Oh, of
2: course. And, and maybe, yeah. and,
0: and maybe, you know, like whatever lessons you learned along the way too.
2: Sure. Well, so one of the questions I asked every CEO is how do they get their first hundred customers? And if they said like organic or inbound or word of mouth, I'd say, no, no, no. Like something that most people wouldn't expect And you get really crazy, juicy details, growth ideas that no one has ever heard of before. Mm. And those were put in this spreadsheet along with like their revenue numbers and their valuations and all that. And so people wanted to pay for that data so they could copy those tactics and use it on their own companies that they were just launching.
0: Got it. Now, eventually that spreadsheet turned into something more like a website. Is that correct? It did.
2: So, so, and there's a lesson here too, by the way, in terms of MVP, right? Like that spreadsheet was like ugly. I mean, it was ugly, but it captured 80% of the value of what I knew I, I, knew I was going to sell, and it allowed me to test before investing a ton of money in developing out a website. So once I knew I had some validation there, we developed getlatka.com. That's G-E-T, and then my last name, L-A-T-K-A.com. And what happens now is every day when I finish an interview, the voice data goes up in a sortable Excel-like format on getlacka.com where you can sort by things like company revenue number of customers their churn which is how many customers they lose per month and and things like that and today michael we've got private equity firms venture debt firms et cetera, these kind, kinds of folks paying anywhere between 10 uh, and 20 grand a month for access to those companies um and i can talk to you more about how we kind of paygate that and price it but that's the gist
0: very cool Well, I want to, I want to transition over to the book deal because somewhere along the line, you know, you were collecting all this insight from interviewing all these people and somewhere a book publisher came to you. Tell us how that happened.
2: Well, this was an accident and I'm sure you could, I mean, how I'm going to ask you this question. I bet it's really high. How many times in a month do you have a book publishing company reach out and say, not often
0: these days, but I have written a couple of books in the past.
2: No, no, no. I mean people pitching you to have their authors on your show. Like oh, my oh
0: my gosh. Yeah, multi, multiple a times a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah.
2: Okay, that's my point. So that was happening to me too. And I'm like, okay, well, let me have a few of these on. And I hope they're like authors that are actually doing what they write about, not like theory kind of authors. Right. So regardless of what I learned, there, I, by the way, I don't have book authors really on my show anymore, just if it's just a book thing. But what happened was I would send the publishers the Amazon ranking. For the author that they want me to have on before my episode with them aired and after smart and there'd always be a massive lift I'd say look I moved your author up 10,000 spots they're now number 235 right and long story short is eventually a few of them reached out and said hey we don't know what you'd write about but the hardest thing about books these days is actually your distribution channels we know you can move sales do you want a book deal Mm. And I put it off, and I put it off because I failed English in high school. I don't – I can't write. I can't I certainly can't write like you and what you've done with the blog. And um, eventually, the numbers got pretty large. I ended up signing with a book agent whose name is Jim Levine in New York um, who represents Ray Dalio with Principles. And Eric Schmidt, when he puts out the Google Books, he represented Satya Nadella with Refresh. And so um, he basically helped me get my book proposal in a way that would create a bidding war among some of the biggest publishing houses. And that's ultimately how we got the book deal.
0: And who would you end up? Ticken.
2: We ended up going with portfolio random house. And by the way, you know, interesting here, it was not actually the, if in terms of the just deal, it was not the highest number, but I liked portfolio in terms of what they'd done because they publish all of Seth Godin's books. They do all of Ryan Holiday's books. I mean, they they do all of Simon Sinek's books. Adrian, the, the guy there at Portfolio, really has made Simon Sinek. Simon has a room in their office in New York where he writes his books in. So I wanted to partner with them. But it was, it was still a pretty healthy advance where it made sense to write with them versus self-publish.
0: Now, obviously, um, since you don't enjoy writing, you must have either – done a lot of recording and giving transcripts to someone who could clean it up kind of like Gary Vaynerchuk does or did you actually hire someone to interview you and kind of write in your style? Well, or did you, you actually struggle? Or did you actually struggle through to write the whole thing yourself? I, I can tell you. I can <laughs> did you tell you. Ears? Of course, yeah, because I'm a trade writer. Really? I mean, I used to be a writer. That that was my thing, you know. So I wrote both of my books, and I know how much wow. work goes into it. Um, but I used to be a professional writer before Social Media Examiner. That's what I, I was a copywriter. So mm-hmm. for me, it was very painful. So you don't have to go into the details, but I would imagine you had some assistance, right?
2: Let's just say I made it about a week of thinking I could just write for twelve hours a day and knock the book out in you know two weeks. <laughs> Not practical. Zero chance. I don't know what I was thinking. Right. Uh, so I said, Nathan, how can I do this? And I said, Wait, why am I forcing myself to write? I podcast. That's where I'm natural. Why don't I record the audiobook first? There you go. And then just use my podcast system to transcribe it and build a book out of it. Perfect. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I wrote the audiobook first and then the print version.
0: Cool. And by the way, folks, just so you all know, because I used to come from the writing industry, there are ghostwriters. There are also uh, people that can assist you in writing where they will take your interviews and they will kind of clean it up. There's developmental editors. There's just all these kind of people out there that can help you if you feel like you're not a good writer. All right, so um, somewhere along the line, you got on the Facebook Watch platform. Talk to us about that.
2: <clears throat> this was also a huge accident. So during Hayo's days... I launched my own personal Facebook page, Nathan, under Nathan Lack, because I knew one day I'd sell Heyo and I wouldn't own it anymore. So my personal Facebook page was slowly growing. And after I sold Heyo, I got connected to Facebook's product watch team in DC and then eventually their LA office. And they basically said, Nathan, we've got this new watch product. We've seen you do webinars before. We know you're really engaging. We want to give you early access so you can test it. And I said, well, I, don't, I actually declined it at first because it's risky because you couldn't go back. If you transition your Facebook fan page to a watch page, they wouldn't let you go back, which was mm. scary to me. And they
0: because, don't want you know, to start from scratch either, it sounds like. Totally.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't want you to start from scratch. But like, what if, they, what if the watch experiment fails and they delete it? Then what do you do with your page, right? Right. Uh, so I said, let me experiment with video. And one day what I did is I grabbed my phone and went out on Rainy Street here in Austin. And I told my audience, I said, Hey guys, I'm live right on Facebook. Here's my checkbook. And I held up my checkbook. And I said, Here's a pen. I'm going to go try and find a business owner on the street and write a check and invest on the spot. Or was buy this the food business.
0: truck one or is that something yes. else? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you remember. Yeah.
2: Um, or you saw it. And I was nervous. If you guys watched that video, I mean, I was actually nervous doing this. Um, I remember the moment I was nervous. They, press, and they probably thought
0: show- you were crazy too, right? Here's this guy, young guy, right? Walking up with the phone in his hand.
2: <laughs> 100%, 100%. And, and so what I did is I walked up to this grilled cheese stand and basically tried to find the owner, couldn't find the owner, got denied, walked away. Eventually after four or five of these asking my audience like which food truck I should walk up to, to try and buy or acquire, I landed on yummy Thai food and um, went up to the station, ordered all recording the whole time and basically said, hey, I'm Nathan. I'm shooting on my Facebook page featuring local businesses in Austin. I want to feature you. Can I buy your pad thai? And then eventually it got to the point where I said, I met the owner. Her name was Ming because she was serving me. And I said, Ming, I want to surprise you. And I whipped up my checkbook. And I said, I want to do a deal. And long story short, as everyone now on Facebook Live, I asked Ming all of our numbers like I do on the podcast. I said, Ming, what's your meal volume? She said about 600, bu- 600 meals a month. I said, What's your revenue? tell me your story. She moved over as an immigrant, has been doing this for three years. What are your employees? And long story short is at the end, after about 45, 50 minutes, I wrote her a $6,000 check, which allowed her to pay off her food truck loan. So she didn't have to pay for the loan every month anymore. And in exchange, she paid me back 65 cents per meal until I was paid back. And then, um, 10 cents per meal in
0: perpetuity after that. So you did a Kevin O'Leary deal.
2: Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of, a little bit like that, but, but I, my comb over is way better than Kevin O'Leary's who yeah. has no hair. Right?
0: <laughs> Got it. So, okay, very cool. So So then, you know, this was your experiment to see whether or not you could even create such content. And then how did that end up leading to the opportunity to get on the Facebook watch platform?
2: Yeah. So that, that episode ended up getting 1.2 million views wow. and there's some psychological things I did in that video to hold the attention of my audience, which we can talk about. Cause I don't see a lot of people doing this. Yeah, um,
0: talk about but, it. Let's talk about it right now.
2: Okay. Okay, cool. So there's a couple things. Um, first off, everyone knows you've written about this. Your audience knows the average watch someone on any Facebook videos is under six seconds. So if you can beat that, you're doing a really good job. If you can get up to like 30 seconds or 40 seconds, you're, I mean, you're killing it and that's, That's regardless of video length, just to make it easy. That's regardless of video length. Right. So one of the things that I was doing on the Facebook live is I would basically say thing. I would, I would let the audience control me. I'd basically say, okay, do you want me to turn left or right right now? Do you want me to go to the, the Euro Wrap place or the Grilled Cheese Station? What do you guys, You know, how much revenue do you think Ming is doing? Three thousand bucks a month or ten thousand bucks a month? So that like feedback and then repeating people's names back to themselves is really important. And then what you want to do is use the engagement buttons to drive the humans that the people are watching. So myself and Ming in this case to do actions. So for example, Ming got really nervous at one point. And I looked at the audience on my Facebook on phone in the phone and said, guys, she's nervous to tell her not to be nervous. Click the heart right now. Double tap heart and like, and you turn it around and show it to her. Yes, exactly. And she started laughing and said, oh my God, and started talking to the Facebook audience. So like many people, and this wasn't produced, it was just me, horrible audio probably, but like. Many people, they overthink Facebook and video. They they put all their makeup on, even if you're a guy, right? They get in where the lighting's good and the good background, and it just de- it defeats the whole purpose. And so that's the first thing is you want to create these these decision points where the audience truly controls the experiment. And that was an issue when CNBC bought the show. We can talk about that in a second. Um, the second thing that we do now today, I didn't do it in Mings, but we do it today. It's very effective. Um, Facebook Watch now allows you to put polls inside the video. Have you tried the polls feature, Mike?
0: In a live video, you mean?
2: No, in a on a watch page when you upload video. Well, I don't
0: have a watch page, so I've not
2: oh, 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 oh. Yeah.
0: I don't have a watch page. I'm sure we've done polls before, but I don't think I don't think See, this is the thing that a lot of people don't, have most people, as you know, do not have access to the watch page because it's a closed ecosystem, but keep going with that.
2: Okay. So I will give this tactic and then try and make it relevant for people that also don't have a watch page. Right. So with a watch page, you can put polls up at certain points in the episode at timestamps oh, cool. and they actually show up in the video. Huh. So like I know at minute three, I'm going to ask and get the revenue data. So at minute two I'm going to say, what do you think the revenue is? And then they see me get the answer live and it helps keep them sticky. So that's huge. And then next, um, countdown clock edited into the video. You guys can do this with a regular Facebook page, any video on Facebook. You see Gary V do this with the red bar across the bottom. So, you know, when it's like getting closer to ending, but we basically built that countdown clock in every minute. So every 60 seconds there was like a headline that said, you know, is the business owner going to punch Nathan in the face? right? And then 60 seconds would go by the countdown would start. And then when it hit zero, you'd see that they swung and missed, right? And then we'd start another clock with another new headline. It's copywriting in the video that drove our average watch time from about eight seconds up to almost 63 seconds per video. And those, uh, metrics are ultimately what got Facebook to give us just incredible access to all their early products. They saw us creating compelling content that was sticky.
0: Awesome. And then, uh, from my recollection, you essentially kind of followed a little bit of the similar model with your Facebook watch page, right? Like you, I think you recorded, I don't know, half a dozen shows or something where you were out there with your checkbook looking for businesses to invest in. Is that accurate? That's exactly accurate. And then somewhere along the line, television somehow to, you know How did that happen? Talk to us about that. Because obviously, so far along the story, and, and I'll just recap this a little bit. Nathan sure. leaves Hayo. He started from scratch. He starts a podcast because he just wants to have a podcast. And then he begins to realize, wow, this information that I'm asking people isn't information people can just find everywhere. So he leverages that information to sell in the beginning of the spreadsheet and then ultimately access to the information. and um, And then he tracks... How, when he gets a guest on his show, it moves the, um, especially the book people, the Amazon rankings, he shows that to them in, in a very wise way. And then he, um, he gets, you know, uh, he wants to do something on watch and he proves it to himself first with live video. And then he starts doing these, these watch shows, if you will, on the platform. And then talk to us about like how television came calling.
2: So television actually did not come from the Facebook page. This is ironic. What happened was there's this whole back-end world between lit agents and TV agents. Back in the day, if you study how CAWME got so big, they would essentially option lit rights for movie rights. And if the literary, if the book did well, they would already have the ability to then make that kind of a TV program. Ah, and so, okay. so there's this there's this back-end forum that only TV producers And all the big publishing companies use. And when they, when a publishing company basically signs a new deal with a new author, they will publish it on this weird form. That's super ugly. And the reason I know this is because the day that portfolio penguin Random house did that for my deal, I got five or six production companies reach out cold email to me just saying, Hey, we'd love to talk to you about the book title. We think it could be interesting on TV.
0: What year is this by the way?
2: Oh, uh, that would have. been been early last year
0: okay so early last year of course is kind of the heyday of uh, shows like the profit right and yes. sh- and shows like, and shows like Shark Tank right so it sounds like the whole idea of like these shows about business must have been fascinating to the TV producers is that accurate?
2: It was so. The, I'm actually just looked this up. The person who reached out, for example, one of them was Erica Hardine at a production company called Cineflix, which produces Property Brothers and The Deed. This was April nineteenth, twenty seventeen, uh, and it, the subject line was "Television production company interested in speaking." Wow. She basically said, "I came across your podcast, started reading about you, found your show, learned about Heyo." I'm making this shorter than what the email actually yeah. is. Saw the book deal on the back end, on this back end forum. We'd love to meet with you. And so what I did here is I didn't just accept. I replied to all of them and said, hey, I'm not interested in, in, in TV because I don't want to be famous. I want to be rich. So what I'll do is I'll interview with a bunch of you guys in New York when I come up there. And whoever gives me the best deal, I'll go with right? Because they're used to selling people that want to just be famous, even if you're broke. I had no interest in wasting time with TV unless it was a lucrative deal. And by the way, we
0: should do a little aside here because (laughs) I know people in the TV industry and you do too. It sounds like there's not a lot of money and people don't realize that, right? Most of these guys in reality television, especially when they're starting make almost no money from the actual production of the show, they make all their money on, on productizing and figuring out how to use that fame to leverage it for other things.
2: If they're lucky, if they're lucky, because you have to carve out stuff out in the agreement up front I mean these people are making maybe a grand per episode even like even like the sh- big shows your audience watches on HGTV or these things maybe a right. grand an episode for the talent the ones that go big are the ones again that set up in their clauses early on carve out rights for merchandising and, and get an executive producer credit so like I knew all of this because of the research that I'd done and ultimately once Cineflix put together they flew a team down to Austin put a pilot together we had a lot of interest from major networks ranging from well, I don't know if I can name all those because it's still fresh, but a lot of networks were interested. We got bids from a few and ultimately signed a deal with CNBC. And when we did that, I signed with CAA, which is the largest talent agency in the world. They helped me make sure I got just an incredible deal on the TV deal. And my deal is actually, I mean, it's larger than what Lamonis got in his first year for the profit. So it is a lucrative deal that on its own uh, will be valuable to me besides just quote unquote getting famous.
0: Okay. So at what point... Did CAA get involved in this? Because for folks that don't know that they're one of the biggest talent agencies in America. Um, And usually when they get involved, you know, um, they can kind of make, you know, can move mountains. So when did they get involved before or after? Or how did you get connected with those guys? Was it your book guys that helped connect you?
2: Well, the critical thing here is I have, and I still do today have most of the leverage in these conversations because I don't need the TV show and I don't need the book deal. I have a lot of revenue coming in from the podcast sponsorships, which I put receipts in the book. People can see, you know, we did over 2 million bucks in revenue on the sponsorships last year on the podcast. And then the get lack of product does a lot of revenue. So what I did is when the production company Cineflix said, Nathan, you know, you need to engage an agent before you negotiate with these production, with CNBC, the networks. I said, okay, well, who do you recommend? They introduced me to folks at WME, UTA, CA, all the big ones, and I basically made them all pitch to me and told them I was having a competition between all the other agents, because they're very competitive people. Hmm. CA ultimately won, and they basically got the rights to do my speaking engagements, my endorsement deals. I would not give them my podcast uh, sponsorships because I didn't need their help on that, um, and the TV deal. And so uh, they then um, built out a great
0: deal for me uh, with CNBC. So, folks, the key lesson from Nathan is Nathan's a negotiator and he plays the long game. So Nathan knows what his value is. He makes it very clear to people and he doesn't just bite when the first little opportunity presents himself. Am I close on that, Nathan? You could not have said it better. So tell us about the TV show. What's it called? Tell us a little bit about the experience because I know you've been filming over the last couple of months, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's, Michael, it's so weird. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. But the, the working title right now is Million Dollar Road Trip.
0: Cool.
2: And the reason, um, so this is based off the Facebook watch show. So the, see, they see the, they, the production companies reached out on the book and then saw the watch show and said, Oh my gosh, there's magic here. So every time that CNBC came back to me with a number I didn't like, I could just say, listen, I don't need you. I'm getting a million views on my Facebook watch show. And that leverage is what enabled me to get a much better deal with CNBC. So ultimately, again, we got that deal done. We just filmed uh, here before Christmas. This would have been just to give your context to listeners listening, you know, five years from now, this was Christmas of uh, 2018. So December 2018, we filmed for five days in Denver, a team of about 30 people, including CNBC execs, the production company that did Survivor, the camera crew that did Survivor are the same folks that did, did this. And then my show is
0: Mark Burnett, the executive producer or?
2: No. no, 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 But no, no, no. But the, the way that the way that that whole world works is Mark has a whole team of people. But when they're not shooting Survivor, they go pick up other gigs. Mm. And so this is off season for Survivor. In fact, I see. My-
0: there are all sorts of little companies that come together to produce a show that yes. big, obviously, right? And it's
2: all led by the showrunner. My showrunner is very talented. His name is Johnny Davies. And he was a showrunner on Survivor for the first uh, decade and Celebrity Apprentice. Cool. Yeah. So anyways, that, that went well. I mean, it's, I mean, it's interesting going down the street with all these cameras around you. You have to kind of fight the urge. You have to really ignore the cameras, which a lot of people just can't do. It, it feels like you're famous in a star and you have to almost go the opposite. I was thinking the whole time, Nathan, you don't need this. It doesn't matter. And it's never going to happen. You're going to walk away at the end. And tell, with that yeah, mindset, tell us the
0: premise of the show, by the way, because I think that'll oh. interesting to people too.
2: Million Dollar Road Trip, I go into every episode it's 47 minutes of filming and then ads in between, but 47 minutes I walk into a random city across the US with my checkbook, walk in, try and find the owner, get their revenue data, see how they're doing and make a decision in 20 minutes or less if I want to invest in the company or acquire the whole thing on the spot. So it's it's Shark Tank on the street.
0: Very cool. How has that experience been for you? I mean, talk about it a little bit. Are you excited about it? Was it, were you nervous? I mean, I know because I have my own little vlog and I know that obviously there's a lot of filming that needs to be done in order to make a show. And there's a lot of cameras and a lot of cut angles. And I mean, my gosh, I mean, like for me, I have a little seven minute show and we produce like 10 hours of content to bring it down to seven minutes. So I would imagine Wait,
2: what's the ratio. How many hours,
0: 10 hours to seven minutes.
2: Holy mackerel.
0: that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I'm dealing with a very different kind of a situation. What's exciting about you is you're on the move. So you have a moving scenario. You're not stuck in a p- location. So I'd imagine you're walking down the street, you're deciding where to go. You did mention that. Do you direct a camera or did they push back on that? Like, do you, you know, actually- we
2: did do direct, I did it. They did. It. So this is where part of the the thing is when I was shooting this, I did, I did go live on Facebook and I would ask people on my Facebook live, I you can go to my Facebook. Facebook page now and see that. And, and you can see the president of CNBC, Jim Ackerman in the comments going, Nathan, do this deal or don't do that deal. And the audience engaging. So the actual real footage, the produced episode that will go up on CNBC, it will be the first time in history, besides like Twitter being on American Idol voting, where Facebook live feedback is built in basically to the produced version.
0: Very cool. Have you seen the final production of any of the episodes yet?
2: Yeah, so they're edit. It's killing me. They're editing the first episode right now. I will see that um, probably mid March, and then the (laughs) so much work. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Well, the the crazy thing here is again. All the money for this, and this is not cheap, by the way. I mean, I I saw what they spent on these five days of shooting. I mean, it's your audience. I'm guessing average salary, and I'm you know I'll tell you it's probably four or five x their average annual salary just on five days of shooting, which is it's crazy to me what they spend relative to probably what you and I pull off podcast editing for. It's crazy.
0: So, Uh, but anyways, yeah. So, so okay. So, what's your grand vision here why did you agree to do the show you said you don't need the money but obviously this is you're going to figure out a way to leverage this so talk a little bit about like what what do you hope to do with this
2: deals um, right now the podcast i'm connecting with ceos uh, those ceos then tell me off the record nathan i want to sell or raise capital or whatever i'm helping them buy and sell other companies and taking you know chunks in between a retainers you know 10 20 30 grand here and there and what's happening now is I have my own private equity fund, which means for your audience, basically wealthy people in the world can give me money and I can buy companies with that money and I put in my own money as well. The only reason that I'm even remotely interested in doing this show is because it's CNBC has the wealthiest demographic of cable viewers and all cable channels, it's the wealthiest demographic. Because these private equity firms have CNBC up on their walls all day long. So if I get brand recognition inside of CNBC, that helps me raise, you know hundreds or almost maybe one day billions of dollars for my private equity fund. But even Mike, if there's one thing that where I might walk away from this deal before they order more episodes, which is it's five days of shooting for one episode. That is a lot of my time for one episode. So if they order 20 episodes, that's a hundred, that's one third of my year in front of a camera. That's really not effective. So, I mean, that is one thing where I may walk away or force the production company to say, listen, how do we do this in a day per episode? Because it's a lot of time.
0: Yeah, and you know the reality is that as you, I mean, I'm a reality TV junkie. Um, I love Survivor. I love do you
2: love Survivor? I have been every watching every,
0: every. I've never missed an episode. My wife and I always watch it, and I've always been a fan of uh, all the business shows. Like I've watched every episode of The Profit and The Shark Tank. And yeah, and the the key to to doing that kind of stuff because I try to do many versions of that on my own show. The key is you got to have really entertaining um, personalities, which you clearly are. And as you know, you probably have walked in and it's been a complete dud because there was just no personality that you could interact with. And you probably had to move on. Am I close to accurate on that? That this happened a couple of times.
2: Oh gosh. When we shot in Denver for every one company, I actually wrote a check for, there were 15 that I walked in and walked out.
0: Yeah. Cause you just knew it wasn't going to be good, you know, and you were probably getting signals from the producers and stuff like, we need to bail. This isn't working. Am I right?
2: To CNBC's credit, they know linear is getting killed by things like Netflix and Facebook watches stuff. They really seem, they are letting me lead a lot. So, you know, I negotiated myself. I'm an executive producer on the show, right? So uh, they really didn't give me many cues. They really did just almost follow me uh, and let me do my thing.
0: And you kind of know, I mean, you know, like, I, do. I you, do. you know that if this, it, and you can probably even tell by the feedback that you were getting when you were live. Well, um, Nathan, this is fascinating. I could talk all day long with you because this is so, <laughs> so cool. Um, okay. First of all, tell everybody like what night the show airs on CNBC and what's it called so they can go ahead and set up their DVRs to record it and all that fun stuff. Let's start there.
2: Yeah, it's called million dollar road trip. Look for it. Um, you know, TV production schedules change, so it will most likely be on called a Tuesday or Thursday, but again, that might change and look for it kind of, um, you know, mid to late mid Q2 to kind of early Q3 time from here this year. Um, it will be really exciting hour long show.
0: Cool. And then, uh, if they want to get your book, how to be a capitalist without any capital, where would they go for that?
2: I have to ask you the micro real quick. I know we're running short on time. Yeah. You scan this ahead of time a little bit, your audience, you know, when they hear capitalist, it's going to be a turnoff. Um, what do you think? I mean, are they going to attach this title? Or are they going to hate it?
0: I think they'll understand what it means. I wouldn't, I mean, why are you thinking of changing the book title? No,
2: but I will tell you my production company really was not happy with me because this book is not timeless. It it, it won't, it's not like the one thing these, it won't sell well in three or four years because I put so many screenshots of tax returns and email scripts and all this stuff where the first person that gets the book really has the biggest advantage. And as more people buy it and copy the strategies, it loses its edge. So they hate that it's urgent and not timely or timeless.
0: Well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, like the book is coming out, right? Isn't it?
2: It is March 5th. Yep. March it's 5th. It's
0: out. So they can go grab it on Amazon. And you know what, if you come out with a version two of the book and you decide to change the name or whatever, whoopee ding, that's what you do, right? <laughs> I mean, like people have done that a lot. If you decide to want to hire someone to completely revamp the entire book and make it into a, a different kind of a book, I mean, you can do that as well. I mean, the good news about the book industry is they're just in just as much trouble as the television industry is. And, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't come out with bazillions of different iterations. Yep. So Nathan, um, if they want to catch your podcast, how do they find that?
2: Yep. That's just called the top entrepreneurs podcast. It's an orange logo. You guys can find it. I'm on iTunes,
0: Nathan Laka, Thank you very much for coming on and sharing this amazing and just fascinating story with us. You bet Mike. I really
2: appreciate it. Uh, and guys, thanks so much for giving me the time.
0: Hey, well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. By the way, we take all the notes for you. If you visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 344, you will find all the show notes from today's episode. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.